Paul talks about in this passage helping each other. He talks about carrying each other's burdens. He, he talks about storing people who are stuck, people who are stuck in sin and have all kinds of problems. But, but just like Paul did, Paul had a horror story of helping the Galatians, and we've been in this book for the last few weeks where Paul, even to the very end of this letter, you can feel his emotion. You, you can feel like, come on, guys, keep this standard. Don't wander from it. I've corrected you. Paul has a horror story of helping people. If we were to go around this room, I guarantee you we would have some horror stories of helping people. And either you got hurt trying to help somebody or the person you were trying to help got hurt or the double whammy, you both got hurt. And it would have been better if you had done nothing. I know I'm not the only one. The Galatians hurt Paul, and yet he doesn't ignore their hurt. He doesn't write them off. He doesn't pretend at all like his feelings, like he doesn't act like, oh, I'll just be tough and tell you the truth. No, Paul is hot. Paul is angry. Paul is in his feelings. We talked about this whole circumcision thing. When, when our, our brother Brian McDonald's preached on that in chapter 4, what does he say? He says, you know what? I wish you guys that are so stuck on this circumcision thing, I wish you just go all the way and just castrate yourselves. This is somebody that's hot, somebody that's angry. And yet, as I've reminded you before, if he had a phone, he'd still be calling them. He'd still be texting them. He's still knocking on their door. He's still writing this letter to them. So even though they wounded him and they hurt him as he tried to help them and he shared God's truth with them, he didn't give up on them. He kept pursuing the Galatians. And, and, and we've heard what it is he pursued the Galatians with. We heard the gospel and the theological term for that, the fancy $50,000 word, right, is justification by faith. Can we all say that? Justification by faith. Well, we'll do it better than that. One, two, three. Justification by faith. Let me make it plain. Let me make it Gloucester, right? We all justify ourselves by something. We all look to our identity. We, we put it into something. We hang our hope. And you know what? It might be something that we're really good at. You ever, you ever been with those? Um, I'll get into trouble. I'm not going to give any specific examples. I don't want to get in trouble. All right, I'm going to say it. We got Mitch here. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna say it. So Mitch <laughs> broke his rib. <laughs> Powerlifting, how much? <laughs> Four bills? <laughs> 400 pounds. All right. What do we do? We, we, we all want to justify ourselves by something that we're good at. And then sometimes, sometimes we get to the point where, you know what? Our identity is actually in Nah, you know what? I'm not good at anything. And we wrap our identity around that. And we're like, 
I'm real. That's how I justify myself. I don't have to pretend to be something I'm not. And we're doing the same thing. But justification by faith means that that Christians get all their worth, not from the things they're good at, not from the things that give them joy, not just from the things that God made them to do, but they get their joy from Jesus. They get their joy from being in a relationship with him. If you were in Sunday school growing up, you might have heard this, that justification is just as if I never sinned. Right, because justification is a mouthful. Right, so just as if I never sinned. But I want to tell you that actually the biblical teaching is even better than that. It's just as if I always obeyed. It's just as if I always obeyed. When God looks at you, guess what? He sees your double-mindedness. He sees your inconsistency. He's, he's not like... It's not like God doesn't see how you really are, how you're struggling, where you're selfish, where you're messing up. But you know what? If you are in Christ, he also sees. He sees his son making the right choice every single time, making the choice of love, making the choice of putting others before himself until he got to the cross where he hung on the tree for every single person in the world. And so when God looks at you, the most real thing about you, if you are in Christ, is that you are loved. And God is not rolling your eyes when you come to church after you hadn't been in months. God the Father is not looking at you, rolling his eyes, thinking, he's not for real, she's not for real. No, he sees Jesus. He sees his perfect record. He sees all the merit of Jesus, all the love of Jesus, all the goodness of Jesus. That's how he looks on you. That's what it means to be justified by faith. That's what Galatians has been teaching us because the Galatians went crazy and they wandered from this. You know, 2,000 years ago, Paul's writing to this group of people that he taught this amazing teaching that we are justified by faith, and he taught it to the Jews and the Greeks who couldn't have been more different from each other. You know, one had 616 rules to keep themselves pure and cut off and separate from the world, and the other, you know, they go to the temple and they use drugs and sleep with prostitutes, and that was part of their worship. And I'm not bad-mouthing the Greeks. That's history. It's just what it was. It was the culture. And it might seem like, well, okay, what does this, you know, part have to do with us? It has everything to do with us. Because we are in a church right here in Gloucester City in 2019 where we have some folks that are going to gather here and have gathered here who, you know, they're wearing their Make America Great Again hat, right? And then we got other people here that have their I'm with her pin. <laughs> we got Jews and we got Greeks. We, we got older people and we got younger people. We got folks who are still smelling like weed a little bit from the weekend. And we got people who went to Christian elementary school, Christian high school, Christian college, and never got a parking ticket and couldn't even tell you what the smell of weed is. 
right? No, but what I'm trying to say is, like, God makes us all have to be needing Jesus together. He brings us together. We are all one family. I heard recently someone tell me, and this really blessed me, this really encouraged me, he said, this is the most diverse church that I ever have been to. I mean, we got grandma, ma, the kids. We, we got people that, you know what I mean, coming from some pretty tough situations. We got people who doing all right. We got blue-collar folks. We got people with coming from college. We got a little bit of everything. Um, and, and I want to tell you that we're only going to have more as we grow because we are reflecting the community and we're reaching the community. And in fact, if you look on a regular week and you see the kids and what they look like, it's more diverse than the people, than the grown-ups sitting in the pews. And that is our future. That is our destiny. And we embrace it a million percent. That we are all one in Christ. It doesn't matter if you're Spanish, if you're white, if you're black, whatever. We are all one in Christ. This is a house for all kinds of sinners. Not just one kind of sinner. <laughs> and he brings us into this house, and I don't mean just this building, I mean this, this body of people. I don't know if you've ever thought this, I know some of you have. You look around, and you're like, like, how do I know any of these people? Like, none of these people would I normally, like, be family with. <laughs> That's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. And the fact is, is that we don't have a ton of stuff in common, except we have the most important thing in common. We know we need Jesus. We know we don't got it all together on our own. We know that we need to grow in faith, hope, and love. You know, this is this this is a favorite story of mine. I'm gonna I'm gonna share it. I, I share I've shared it for years. Um, I don't think I've ever preached it, but you you've got this uh, this monkey sitting in a tree, and it's monsoon season in India, and this is like a hurricane that's just gonna last for weeks. Like the rain is not gonna stop coming. The tree is moving back and forth. The wind is so bad, it's taking up the water from the river and it's creating little pools of water that are bigger than puddles. They're like little ponds. And the monkey looks down and he sees a puddle and he sees a fish in the puddle. And the fish is darting around trying to escape because it's not in the river where it belongs. And so the monkey climbs down the branch until he has just his tail holding his whole body on the branch and the branch is creaking and it's about to break but he reaches down and he swoops up the fish and he runs up the tree with the fish and he throws the fish into the little hole in the tree where he lives safe from all the wind and the rain and the fish is so happy the fish is moving around flapping around the monkey is like this I saved this fish. 
and then the fish stops moving around so much and the fish gets slower and slower and the monkey's confused and then the fish looks like it's struggling to breathe until the fish finally dies. It doesn't matter how much courage you have. It doesn't matter how much of a sacrifice you make. If you don't know the needs of the people that you're trying to love, if you don't know their culture, if you don't know what they're going through, what they're thinking, what you try to do to help people often hurts them. We, you and I, we, we can't be messing up like these monkeys, right? Or we're going to hurt the people we're trying to help. They didn't understand the fish needed air to breathe. And there's all these different ways we mess up. And we could have a really good conversation about that and go really deep. But we're just going to look at the few that Paul talks about and is right in here. Paul tells us right in the beginning of chapter 6 to restore someone who is caught up in sin. Right? What do we do? See, one of the things that gets us is that we, especially Christians, this is a huge problem for Christians. I call it the Ned Flanderization of the church, where we think that being a Christian means just putting on a smile all the time and being kind all the time. And we make kindness the greatest virtue that we can have. And we never want to show weakness, right, or doubt, or any emotion, or any anger. And it's nothing like Jesus. I mean, it's nothing like Paul. Paul gets mad. Jesus gets mad. He flips stuff over. And kindness, when it's the only thing that we value, it kills. Kindness alone kills. And one of the ways, one of the things we do instead of restoring, what do we do? We ignore and we, but when you go to the hospital, you don't want, like, Brian's a nurse, right? You don't want Brian in the ICU at Underwood in Spira. You don't want him sparing your feelings when you're laying on that bed and you need immediate action to save your life. You don't want Brian to be like, well, it ain't that bad. <laughs> you know, it's all good. You know, here's a Band-Aid. Here's a little bottle of water, you know, you know, just because he doesn't want to offend you. No, like, tell me what's wrong. Tell me how bad it is and just go ahead and do it. And if I'm unconscious, go ahead and try to save my life. We need to restore one another. One of the things we do is ignore. On the other hand, you ever have that experience where you shared something really painful in your life, you shared something very, you're very vulnerable, and people just like moonwalk from you. They're like, they weren't ready for that. They're like, wow. You know what I mean? Like, like you're sharing back and forth, and all of a sudden, you share something like really deep and dark, and they're just like, oh, can't say I can relate to that at all. <laughs> you know what I mean? And what's supposed to bring us together, by being honest, causes a rift. 
Because instead of restoring, we experience or we ourselves do this. We judge and we condemn. And we walk away from people because their problems are too much for us to handle. Since Napoleon, right, and maybe before this, there has been a saying in the military, march towards the sound of the gunfire. I used to have that written on the whiteboard upstairs, and we have a group of, of guys that get together. We pray for everybody in the church, and one of the reasons we do that on a regular basis is because I know that I cannot like just bear in of myself all the needs of the church. And so we pray for everybody and what everybody's going through. And sometimes we go more than pray and say, how can we talk to this person? How can we encourage them? Who can call them? What can we do? And we wrote, I wrote this up on the whiteboard. You know, march to the sound of the gunfire. Why? Because as this is what God's calling you and I, right? Not to walk away from all the mess. Not to walk away from the carnage. Not to be like, man, they're really messed up. And let me walk on the other side of the street. But as Christians, we're called to bear each other's burdens. We're called to get into the mess. And here at Epiphany, if you're going to stay here for a while and you're going to be a part of this, guess what? You're going to get messy. Because a lot of people have some dirt on them. And there's no way you can love them. There's no way you can walk with them. There's no way you can actually even just be their friend and be in community with them if you're not willing to have some drama in your life. Amen? You know, we do it messy. We do it wrong. Sometimes, you know, sometimes we, we curse each other out. We jam each other up. You know, we, we joke there's a sister in the church, uh, we joke, you know, I'm sure you've heard of the 12-step program, where it's like one, two, you know, it goes, and there's, there's, it's really methodical, and it's really good, um, and we actually partner in Camden with a, a group called Faces of Change, and they use a 12-step program, we love it, but we also have a woman in church that we joke around has the three-step program, and the three-step program is stop Drinking, B, dash, 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 dash. <laughs> if we're going to walk with each other, like, like we need that in our lives. Like we need some people that are going to talk rough to us. We need some people that are not going to handle us with gloves in the middle of our sin. We have, to, we have a process, and Jesus gave us this process. We see it in Matthew 18, 15 to 17. This is Jesus speaking. He says, if a brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. If he listens to you, you've won him over. But if, you, if he won't listen, take one or two others with you, so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. If he doesn't pay attention... To them, tell the church. And if he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like a Gentile 
and a tax collector to you. Let me tell you what this is saying. This is not saying that if somebody's stubborn, stuck in their sin, and they're only going in their own way, that you get to just like stop talking to that person, and you get to just like write them off. We always talk about how, you know, we need to hold the door open, because we are in, well, for one reason, just practically, a lot of our ministry is right here in a very small town. <laughs> so it's not like, you know, you can just burn relationships, and then like, all right, we'll go to the next group of people. No, like, they're the same people. They're the same people. They're following Jesus for a few months. Then life gets crazy and sideways. And guess what? They're drowning and they're not doing well. You know what we have to do? We have to hold our foot in the door. It's always ready for you to come back. But Jesus called his disciples. One of his disciples was a tax collector. They were hated. Nobody liked them because they stole from everybody. They were corrupt. And Jesus is saying here, listen, we're not going to pretend like everything's okay. When you just stop, when you just disengage and you stop coming to church, when you just start feeding into all your habits, when you just let loose and the brakes don't work and you're flying towards the wall and you're going to crash, we can't just stand back and be like, hey, sister, how you doing? Hey, brother. You know, no. Like... The conversation is, like, where you been? Come back. We care about you. Come back. You know, we still, we're still called to keep the spirit of the law, the law of love, even though we know Paul destroys this idea throughout the whole letter of Galatians that we can earn God's favor by doing the law, right? And yet we're still called to, to keep it. Dr. Philip Ryken, he says, we are called to keep the law of love even though our salvation does not depend on it. Though we are not under the law, nevertheless, we fulfill the law. This is how we express true religion. James says, true religion is this keeping yourself unpolluted from the world and taking care of the orphan and the widow. If it, there is an evidence of a true faith, of a true relationship with God, of having received this gift of faith, and that looks like something happening in your life. Tony Evans says, you know what? We walk by faith, not talk by faith. <laughs> like, faith involves you moving. Faith involves some action. Faith involves some evidence in your life that God has given you this gift. You know, and, and, and one of the ways we're calling you to this is through these shepherding groups. These monthly check-ins that with these with these ongoing connections. What do I mean? Like a monthly connection, we want to have these meals together in each other's homes with like, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten adults where you can have a meal and you can actually, and we're going to throw the kids in another house down the block and you're going to actually have the bandwidth to talk to some grown-ups. How are you doing? And when you're not doing that, you know, getting in together with one or two friends, continuing to read your Bible, continuing every week to pray, to be encouraged, to keep walking in the path that Jesus set before us. And if you're, if you're a member, if you stood up here and you made these vows, 
guess what? Like, this is really important to you. And this is really important to us. And if you can't make it, and what we're saying is, we're only making these meals monthly so you could rearrange everything to make it. But if you can't, it means we're going to meet with you. <laughs> like, as long as you're a part of this, you're getting checked in on. <laughs> as long as you're a part of this church, we're loving you, we're seeing how you're doing. You're, you're not just ghosting out. <laughs> Amen? And if you're hungry and you want to grow and you're not a member, of course you can also come to these meetings. <laughs> Amen. Now, Paul talks about, he says, carry each other's burdens. And then a couple verses later, he says, each one should carry their own portion. And what you have here in the original language, these are two different words, just like they are in English. And in Greek, what we have is this idea of what you'd put on an ox. I don't know if you've ever seen an ox, but they're massive and they're dangerous. <laughs> you don't want to get in front of one that gets spooked, right? You're getting run over. It's going to be bad. And they put these massive, massive burdens, these, these huge bars over the ox to plow the field. Or think of it as a, a row of slaves, you know, and they put it up, their shoulders up, and they plow and they push it forward. That is carry each other's burdens. And then this idea of portion is more like a backpack or a bunch of wood that you go and an individual goes and he gets a bunch of wood, some kindling, they're going to start a fire. And that's the idea of this portion. And the difference is, is that some things you were never meant to lift on your own in this life. There are some things you were never meant to carry. You got to carry it with other people. We got to carry it for each other. And then there are some things that nobody was meant to carry for you. And when they do, they hurt you. And when we carry things for other people that they are meant to carry, we're actually hurting them. We're like a parent. You know, we do not carry each other's burdens the way a parent carries a little kid. When you, when you're, when you are carrying the burdens of another grown brother and sister in Christ, you're carrying the burdens like a partner, not like a parent. You're carrying the burdens not like... The, the slave owner, the master and the slave, where it's like, well, I gave you a room. I gave you food. I took care of every need. No, you take care of their burdens like a brother. Like, I want everything for them that I have. <laughs> and we see this in all these different ways, and we see it spiritually. I heard this before. Faith, your faith is like a toothbrush. Who wants to share your toothbrush with somebody else? It's gross, right? It's gross. <laughs> like, maybe you do. That's your thing. You know, we do judge you for that, even though I said we don't judge here. Definitely judging you for that. But, like, no, like, your toothbrush is your toothbrush. And your faith in Jesus is your faith in Jesus, you know, and we can point each other to Jesus. We can call each other to turn back to him. And you know what I mean? But nobody here ought to say that they follow Jesus alone and that nobody was with them. Nobody encouraged them. But the deeper and realer sense, you do walk with Christ alone. Not 
in John chapter 1 it says, we are born of the spirit, not of the will of man, not by the flesh, not because of who you're married to, who's your dad, who's your mom, none of that. You're born from God in your spirit. Let me make this plain. Let me make it Gloucester, right? Praying at church is not enough. Reading people's spiritual memes on Facebook and reading prayers to the saints or whatever in the newspaper. It's not enough. Like you have to have a relationship with Jesus. Nobody else can do that for you. No, nobody else can, can have faith for you. You need to have your own faith in Christ. It's the same thing financially. I remember telling a, a, a friend, you know what, they were coming through the house a lot, asking for this and that and, and the other thing. And I was like, listen, my house is not 7-Eleven. You know, we face, we're not going to face something together that you won't even face on your own. Do you hear what I'm saying? We're not going to face things together with you that you will not confront on your own. There are exceptions. Say, you know, you're just overwhelmed. You're in the middle of a crisis. And if we don't help you, you, you know, your kids ain't going to eat and your life is so jacked up. I understand there are crises, but some of us live in a perpetual self-created crisis, right? We create our own crisis over and over and over again, and we're unwilling to face it. And what I'm saying plainly is, we, you know, we should not be giving lots of money over and over again when you are totally unwilling to look at your budget, when you're totally unwilling to work more hours, when you're totally unwilling to change your lifestyle. And I'm not saying this angrily to anybody in this room. I'm saying this is the principles that we're trying to guide our church and our community through. Like this is not like, I'm saying you as a person, you are getting eaten up by other people, stealing all the energy, all the resources, everything you have. And I'm saying for some of you, it's gotta stop. You need boundaries. You need to say no sometimes. And then there are others of you who have like a fortress around your life. And, and, and you need to say yes a little more. You, you need to open up the pocketbook. And you need to let some people live with you that are messed up sometimes. And you gotta, you gotta, you got to do something radical for Jesus. Hasn't anybody ever wanted to do something radical for Jesus? I mean, we've had people living in our house that were days away from living in the crack house. And we did that because Jesus called us to it. And we don't regret a single second of it. You know, and finally, emotionally. We, we carry each other's burdens emotionally, but we also carry each other's burdens. We also have to carry our own. Pastor Derek Parks, he's preached here before, a pastor in Wilmington. He said, he reminded me of this. He said, some people are like emotional vampires. You know? They, they, they're like black holes. They're, they're like, you get around them and it's like, we need to meet all the time. I need to talk to you on the phone every day or every other day for like an hour. You know what I mean? And it's like, I need, I need, I need, I need. 
that's, that's the reason. There's a reason that Catholics have a confessional booth and not like just, you know, sharing everybody else. Now, I'm just asking somebody. Amen. Listen. Yeah, we, I'm saying don't be, you know, an emotional vampire. And the only way you can do that is when you see that your needs are met in Jesus. And you don't need this and that and the other person so desperately. But also, don't feed. Don't give your life. You know, don't like turn the neck and be like, all right, bite away. Because kindness is the only thing that guides me. And I, I don't want you not to like me. And I don't want you to, no, you got to be able to say no. Each one of us needs to carry our own burdens, our own proportion. And each of us needs to carry each other's burdens, those things that are too big for us. I want to end with this. You know, this passage says, one of the greatest passages in the Bible says, do not grow weary in doing good, for in the due season you will receive a reward or you will receive a harvest. I want to remind you, my brothers and sisters, that, you know what, we have been weary in doing wrong. We have. I'm not saying that because it's like, I know you, and I know you've been weary doing wrong. I'm saying that I, Joe Marlin, have been weary in doing wrong. Doing wrong has, you know, it goes down smoothly, don't it? It's got a nasty aftertaste. <laughs> it's, it, it goes down smoothly, but that aftertaste is rough. And doing good, it doesn't go down so smoothly. <laughs> Doing good, it, it feels horrible sometimes. Doing the right thing sometimes feels like death, and yet it's the thing that brings life. And we do good not so that we can go to heaven, but we do good because we know we're going to heaven. Amen? I know we've been working in this passage for a while. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and just as they're doing that, I want you to close your eyes, if you would, and I want you to, to pray with me. Just, just, just hear what I'm saying, and if this is you, just agree. Just say amen in your heart. Just yes. Lord, we pray, Father, that, Lord, we would be people who carry each other's burdens. Lord, we would be people who also carry our own portion. Lord, your word talks about being proud, standing tall, be, being people who, who do what God has called them to do and, and knows that. And Lord, I pray that every person in this church would know the joy of being able to stand tall and know that they have been faithful. And even when we're faithful, it doesn't mean that we're not going to fail. It doesn't mean that our lives are going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that every single area of our life is going to prosper. But it does mean that we loved you enough to be faithful to you even when we didn't see the immediate reward. But, Lord, we thank you. We know that there is a reward coming for us. We thank you that 
your word. You said, Jesus, that you will never forget the cup of cold water given to a child. You never forget the extra seat we pulled out at our table. You never forget the encouraging word that we gave. You never forget the time we jammed somebody up who is stubborn, who is heading in the wrong way. You never forget anything that we do for you. That if we don't grow weary, we will receive a harvest. We pray, Lord, that we would be people who would try that out. Try out being tired, doing good. That we wouldn't be so weak and so malnourished and so broken that we don't know how to serve you. Lord, please work in us, we pray. Amen.